Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Desert Tiger Podcast. Today on the show, my guest is Cam Gillette from Smoke From All The Friction. My name is Colton Geschwaner and I am your host here at the DTP. And thank you for joining me here on this episode. Before we go ahead and give you a quick background on this week's guest... I want to take a quick moment to thank those of you who checked out last week's episode of the show, that being episode 58, in which I spoke to Katie and Michelle from Like a Motorcycle. I had a great time talking to those two about their group, and I hope that you guys enjoyed the episode, and thank you to those of you who went ahead and shared that episode on your social media pages. Thank you so very much because it helps the show grow so much more than you know. Like I said, this is episode 59 and today on the show I have Cam Gillette from Smoke From All The Friction. Friction is the force that opposes the relative motion between two surfaces of objects in contact. Even with this opposition... Friction isn't exactly always negative. In fact, it creates energy. Whether it's in transportation, whether you're polishing something, and even with the creative process. Without some form of friction, we tend to become comfortable, no longer being driven by an outside force. Cam Gillette embraces this idea, constantly melding genres, collaborations, and melting expectations with his project Smoke From All The Friction. Looking to inspire and provoke your mind while drawing you in with beautiful, industrial-driven electronic pop vibes, Cam is definitely unafraid to take a risk while exploring various genres that inspired him while he was being raised. We speak about his music and Smoke From All The Friction's 2018 album, Transience, and we also discuss a future album that they have in the works today as well. On top of this, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the idea that friction is essential to the creative process and just what does it bring to Cam and the group. We're also going to discuss the idea of adapting to the music scene and how it can be beneficial, but also quite dangerous, and how to toe the line between selling out and still staying true to yourself. Staying true with your expression and your honesty. And honesty is something that Smoke From All The Friction explores in the first song I'm going to be playing for you today, Cross and Tattoo. What happens when we're completely honest, open, and vulnerable with someone who we just met? What happens when there's no need for a first impression? Because there isn't going to be a second one. You're going to hear Cam discuss this idea later on in the interview, but right now, this is Cross and Tattoo. Smash. 
sat at the danger scene Speaker fell to the floor in the middle of a scream I picked it up and we danced so hard At the old house turned into a bar Thought your words were strange You were fine all by yourself next to the stage I shadow matched your hair and I let you know And we stayed out late while we loaded the cars Took day, make a walk, you said it wasn't too far You sat by me there, but not too close You were quick and funny And we stayed out late
the Desert Tiger Podcast. All right, we are here with Cam Gillette, the main brain behind Smoke from All the Friction. How is it going today, Cam? Oh, it's going super good, man. Lots of exciting stuff happening, so it's a good day. All right, all right. I'm glad to hear that. Hopefully we can get into some of those exciting things, get into everything behind the smoke from all the friction news and whatnot, get into the album that you guys dropped last year. Before we get there, let's start out. Where is the love of music start for a young Cam Gillette? Because the influences in this project from just listening to the group, you can tell that there's a lot of draws in different genres and areas. So where's the love for music begin for Cam? Um, when I was a little kid, I just wanted to play piano. I mean, like as early as I can remember, I was just like, I want to play piano, which is kind of a weird impulse for a, a young child to have. <laughs> um, and then after that, I thought piano was stupid because I was a teenager and wanted to get girls. So I picked up guitar and bass and some other instruments like that. Uh, I never really got the girls with them, but I kind of found a, like a method to uh, express a lot of things that I didn't have a way to articulate. And then around mid-high school, I started dabbling in electronic music, like production and, and, and things like that, and using some computer tools to, because like, I wanted to make music and, and bands, but it's hard to find people who really were into it. So that allowed me to be able to basically play all the different roles at the same time. So at what age did you start playing piano? Oh, super early, maybe 10 or something, 8 maybe. Starting with piano, I mean, I don't personally play piano, but I've always heard that it's one of the best instruments to start with if you want to transition to other things. Did you find that yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like asking somebody, like, compare their college experience to someone else. You kind of only have one. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, I mean, I I could see why people would would, would defend that. I mean, it's a very, like, you look at it, you can see the repetition and patterns as opposed to you look at a, a stringed instrument or like a woodwind or anything like they're a little bit far more intimidating so i'd say the the it's a far more organized instrument in that that regard Mm -hmm. you ended up taking up the guitar and other things to get the girls but you ended up finding (laughs) the other benefits to playing music the expression and other things how important was that to you during your high school years i mean i was was a weird everybody's a weird kid i guess but there's a lot of things that you want to say and communicate and there's just things you're not supposed like not supposed to or you're going to pay like a social price for. So, and some people like, I don't know, write books or journal a lot or something was like, I need to express this emotion and this this seems to be the, the best thing that I had to, to do at the time. Okay. But, yeah, express that. What inspired the push into electronic music after that? Uh, I guess I kind of got bored with a lot of the traditional sounds and I mean, my personality, I kind of like to experiment and like even as my job, I'm a, I'm a computer programmer, and a lot of that is experimentation. And your job, basically, as a, a developer, is, is to solve problems that have never been asked before, and that requires like a lot, a lot of experimentation. It's organized experimentation, but like you're answering a question that was asked, so there's not really a, quite an answer yet. So that kind of works works with my personality really well. Is uh, trying to create sounds and, and that no one's never ever heard before and haven't been created, and so like and that's transitioned kind of benefit me really well now. Because uh, when I write my albums and, and stuff now, it's, it's far more, <laughs> I kind of start from an esoteric place, like, hey, I need this song to feel this way. I need to communicate this thing. I don't really care what genre it is. I don't really care about the things that most people start with when they start writing a song. It's like I kind of start with the feeling first. 
and I find like electronic music and synthesis and trying to build these like weird setups that allow me to express these things is, is far more. I guess it's a far more useful tool than than just sitting pick picking an acoustic guitar and that that's all you can do, you know. Definitely allows you to expand the musical realms a lot more with it, especially yeah. if you're using both, right? Because why can't you use both? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's like I have a lot of like metal influences, but metal's a pretty I don't know exclusionary genre, so I don't have I don't it doesn't leak into my music very very often, but. It's just like I, I like to have the ability to go there if I need to, or go to something very tender, which metal generally doesn't. So it's more of just trying to open yourself up to having more tools to express the things that you're try, trying to get across. You know, with it be it like an instrument or a, you know, a genre. Oh, definitely. It's you have like a lot of a new wave sound and an industrial sound, and there is industrial metal, but even then, that's a very niche genre where yeah. they might not necessarily be accepting of the yeah, not real, real open-minded community but. <laughs> yeah no it's considering how it's uh supposed to be a open-minded concept and everything else towards the industrial idealism the way that you go about it but yeah no it's totally still has that metal elitist feel to it where it's like oh you've got dance parts in your music how dare you Pop influences get out. Well, I mean, I think it, it's in, in some ways. I, I guess I really understand. I've been trying to understand why people have such like I don't know strong opinions, almost like vitriolic opinions and reactions to, to like different bands. Like for instance, like when Linkin Park kind of switched their new sound at the end, like it was far far calmer and it just wasn't like you know mid two thousands rock anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the fans got like really annoyed at them. And the basic response was, man well, this is where we are now. Like, you can still listen to the old stuff, but looking at it now, those fans basically identified a part of themselves. Like, hey, th- this album, this Linkin Park album, this band expresses a part of me that I can't express anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And they basically, like, personify themselves inside this band. And when the band changes their sound or breaks rules that they don't like, they feel like it's a personal attack because they, they to know Linkin Park, I had no idea they were doing that, obviously. Like, they can't. But... It's it's like you attach a part of yourself to to the, this genre or this band or this idea. Well, and that's it. Is when you write the music, you yourself are expressing a certain idea, but the fan can relate to that idea in a completely different way. And then yeah. for people like Linkin Park, once you're exposed to a certain level of fame and other things, and like their humanitarian efforts and everything else, like the willingness that they had to change the world because like when they were angsty teenagers they wanted to change their angsty teenager world and there's a point where they were no longer angsty teenagers they were adults and they were trying to get a point that life their lives had more drive and purpose than just that and it's hard to do that because them they weren't trying to alienate anybody by going in that direction, but they can't also affect the way that their fans grow during that decade-long process. Yeah, and the same thing with metal. I know a lot of people are drawn to this more extreme or heavier genres because it gives you a sense of power, especially when you're younger. Like, you don't have a lot of agency of your life, so you're drawn to this this genre that gives you this, like, feeling of power by listening to it. People get bothered by a little bit, or when you blast in your car as a 16-year-old, you're like, ah, you know, it feels so like, oh, I'm in control now. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, 
I get that as a 16 year old, but as a like a you know a 30 plus year old, maybe you should examine that. If this is the only genre that you can listen to, like what are you what are you hiding from? What are you escaping from? Mm-hmm. No, exactly. If you can't embrace other ideas and other things, it's what is it about this bubble that is so comfortable? for you that everything else is terrifying or gross or whatever word that they want to use to cover up their actual emotion for it. Yeah, well, I think it's probably usually humans aren't real good about that examination. They're just like, this is bad. I'm going to reject it. This is new and foreign. I hate you. You know, like, (laughs) but on that note, like, I think, I think I do blame to some degree. I guess not blame. I hold artists to, I guess, a lot higher degree in these kind of areas. Because they're coming from a sense of power and influence, like, like some of my favorite artists are people I think have done this well. There's a there's a metal artist named Devin Townsend. Love yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's he's done a really good job of. He makes really good metal, but he's basically make like a lot of it is this kind of like satirical critique on metal. Like he really literally wrote an album basically just like he calls it wanking all over. It's like a very technical, complicated album. Like it has this super complicated progressive metal like story and structure. All these like aliens have come, and all these like crazy things happen, and then it culminates that the entire purpose of life is a cheeseburger, or just something like this. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's meant to be like, hey guys, like there's like you take you get you've gotten lost in this a little bit, mm-hmm. and so I really appreciate artists that can kind of embed that that critique without making it political. I mean, not, not I don't have a problem inherently with somebody making it political, but he's able to for somebody who wants to see the critique, it's there, and someone who doesn't, it can still enjoy it, and he's able to dance between those two things pretty well. Yeah, no, the Deconstruction album, where yeah, exactly. literally the last song he tells <laughs> you that this entire album has just been breaking apart a cheeseburger and the process that goes into creating it and everything else, and it's just like, you guys take this way too seriously. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and releases a Bluegrass album. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, but to to, to his point... There's people who just criticize. I think there's people who can't can't handle any of the criticism. There's people that don't seek to understand and have a nuanced view of of why people like metal or why people like mumble rap or why people like X thing. There, there's just this constant criticism by each of these different. They're basically tribes. They're musical tribes of why this other thing is bad. And let me give you a thousand reasons why this is bad. Mm-hmm. I was like, you don't think it's bad, which is okay, but now you're trying to, emotionally, but now you're trying to find logic to defend your emotions. You know, maybe your emotions aren't shouldn't be there, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't acknowledge them, but that doesn't mean you should die on that hill either, you know? You can just say, hey, I don't like this. Maybe it's good or bad. It's not my problem, you know? Yeah, and then there's, it almost makes me feel that some people are stuck in the high school mentality of, Oh, jocks are terrible because I'm a nerd, and nerds are terrible because I'm a jock. And then once they get out of high school, they're all just like, you know what? I enjoyed both things the entire time, but secretly, I had this wall because I thought that I had to stick to this particular niche. And I feel like some people never escape that. I mean, I'm... That's why I go to therapy, you know? <laughs> it's always that, like, those, those defenses and shields you build up to that persona you have to basically force upon yourself to get through the era of your life. I mean, high school, even just public high school, is difficult. But just that era of transitioning between a child and to an adult, you have to figure out a bunch of things, and you kind of have just have placeholder answers for, for how you view yourself. I mean, that, that's like my last album. is very heavily about trying to figure out what an, a young adult 
Like, how do you transition out of that? What are the steps to, to, to acknowledge that everything in life is transient, it's all changing, and all the factors that, that worked yesterday may not work tomorrow, and it's our responsibility to put ourselves in a position, both for ourselves and, and for the people around us, that we can examine those things as, as needed, you know? Mm-hmm. And what are the repercussions of doing that and not doing that? And what is the journey of how can we become a person that can do that? And that, that's kind of like a big emphasis on my the stuff I write least lyrically is the problem is not that we don't do this thing. The problem is not that we're not doing this activity or doing this good good mind thing. Is that we're not a, we haven't developed ourselves into a person where that can flow out of you. See, the problem is not that if if you're fat, the problem is probably not that you don't exercise. The problem is that you're not a person who can maintain a a lifestyle of fitness. And if you just focus on trying to find the perfect workout and not focus on becoming a person where that's the fruit of your life, then you're probably not really going to have very good results. And I think it's, it's like a subtle thing to me, but it's a pretty profound thing. Focus on becoming a person that does these things and not just do the things. You have to change the discipline and your mindset. You have to adapt the individual that you are rather than just trying to force it. Because if you just try and force it and go for it right away, your mind might not necessarily be in that right realm. So it's going to fight, say, that fitness mentality if we're going to continue to use that example. Yeah, I mean, and on top of that, it requires you to see that, like, wow, I'm not nearly as awesome in this area as I thought it was. And that's usually, I think, at least for me and most people I talk to, is probably the biggest barrier. Like, first being able to get, giving yourself permission to be inadequate in a way that you thought you were adequate before. And that's part of growth in itself, is accepting yeah. your shortcomings and realizing where can I grow and where can I make those adaptations to become a better human being yeah i mean that's i mean again that's kind of like the crux of a lot of stuff like my band smoke from all the friction mm-hmm. friction is, is like an energy that's created when two opposing forces come together that and that's an energy they wouldn't create at any other point point. and friction is usually associated is usually thought of as a negative thing but i'm like no it's just energy and it can be negative it can be positive when you're really cold you want some friction you know mm-hmm. when you're in a car wreck you don't really want friction but I view it as a metaphor for on our own as an island, most humans can't escape and can't break out of these ideas and they're kind of, they're going to act in a habitual manner. Just that's like the low level day-to-day operation of of a human is, is wants to be habited, wants to be habitual, wants to like continue doing what it's doing. And the higher order brain can kind of like boss that one around a little bit. But I find that typically the best way to get that low level brain to, to act differently is to give it stimuli. And so the friction is this external stimulus that you put in your life. So for me, from a musical perspective, I intentionally inconvenience myself, basically. Okay, this song has to be feel purple. That's like a big restriction already. Or like, hey, I have to work with this person on this song. Or I have this due date. Or I have to do... But it's just the bigger mentality of intentionally putting these, not quite boxes, but external pressures upon yourself to allow you to see yourself in a different light and create something you wouldn't be able to otherwise. It pushes your boundaries and actually makes you realize what you are capable of that you yourself wouldn't have otherwise maybe strived to achieve. Yeah, or incapable of and thought you were able to. (laughs) Yeah, totally, without a doubt. So let's get into the music. Smoke from all the friction. You guys started off with a single entitled Cross and Tattoo. Let's get into that one. What does Cross and Tattoo mean to you? 
Um, that was a, that was an interesting song to write because uh, <laughs> I I have heard this phrase a hundred times and I've said it a bunch of times too. It's like pop music's only four chords. It's easy, you know. And then for some reason, like kind of relating to what we were saying before, I I've said this enough. I was like, well, if it's so easy, prove it. You know, I was like, uh, okay. So I mean, I've historically written a little more aggressive, angrier music because some of it I just some some of it I just like, but it also allows me to hide behind it, like we were talking before. That was my first attempt to write something that was a genuine expression of, of how what I what I think and what I feel, but also mm-hmm. wrapped in a box that a pop music box, which to me was a, at the time was a very vulnerable place. Like no one's going to criticize my like metal songs for being like too too tender, too vulnerable, or too girly, or too whatever. You know, I'm writing something that's very like I intentionally wrote the song to be very accessible. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a nice challenge, and it turned out a pretty good. I, I, I like the song. It's pretty good, and I wanted to be very uh, cognizant of what musical trends were at the time, but still kind of inject some some ideas that are from a bit more niche or not pop influences. Because I do a lot of pro- I do all the production myself, so I can have a lot more control over that expression. So I use like a lot actually some like subtle like metal techniques and some stuff in the background. If you listen for it, and you know what you're looking for. You're like, oh, I see how you use that. that you did a bass guitar here, blah, 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 and it sounds just like X X metal song. And I'm like, yeah, but if you didn't know what you're looking for, it's not there. So trying, like, that was kind of my first experiment of trying to blend these two worlds and, and give myself permission to, you know, be tender and poppy when I need to, but also, and I, I guess I, I kind of view the entire idea of smoke from all fiction as this bit of a duality of. I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm going to find some, write some stuff that's pretty accessible. And then I'm going to write some stuff that's a little bit more inaccessible. But since I've built a trust with you before, I hope you'll go with me a little bit on it. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people write aggressive music. That's nothing new. But they kind of like, well, if you don't like it, then that's your problem. I was like, man, that's really arrogant, dude. If you can meet people where, you're, where they are, they're going to be far more able to experience like the, the beauty of these niche genres. But if you don't give them a gateway drug or a gateway ban, basically, into these things, they're never going to get there. So that that's my goal, at least. And so that's Crossing Tattoo is meant to be an easy-to-listen-to song so that you're, I can build a little bit of trust with you So I, and later songs in the album and different parts of the album, I can push you a little bit more. Okay. So you played in more metal bands before? Um, yeah, it's crazy heavy. But yeah, that's... Like, I wrote definitely more aggressive and darker music. Okay. Okay, I definitely agree with that, because from the mentality of saying, like, well, if you don't like it, that's your problem, it's also (laughs) their problem if that's immediately their defense towards somebody not liking it, is it's, well, why don't they like it? Why can't they transition into enjoying it? Because... Like you said, there always has to be that group that sort of catches you and pulls you into a genre because there can always be that time from for so long where you think that something sounds terrible or it sounds evil or it sounds cheesy or whatever emotion that you're going for. And then suddenly when it hits you in the right way or in a way that's sort of like halfway in between where you already were, it can definitely lead you in that direction because it's okay, so if this person's willing to go here, maybe I'm also willing to follow them into that other realm. Yeah, that make, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm, that easily becomes a line of, like, you're just pandering to, to the audience. You're like, all right, what do you guys like? All right, I'll write this music. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, there, that is a spectrum. But, and I think a lot of people that are on kind of both ends of that, the people that are they're trying to make this their career and they're kind of 
almost completely agnostic to the music. They're like, whatever will get me get my music goals and make me famous, I'll do that. You know, and that's kind of like the pop music scene that people criticize. They just kind of ca- try to capitalize on what's cool, and that's all they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And then you have on the other end people that like, I won't sacrifice my inter- artistic integrity for anything. And this is the this is the raw expression of me, and I'm not going to change for anybody. It's like, okay, well, I think both of those mentalities are detrimental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think there's to acknowledging that like the unfiltered output of, of your soul is maybe not the best thing. You know, maybe there needs to be a, like a level of, of examination that is, is required there. Without a doubt, you definitely can't rest on either Laurel. You definitely can't just pander to your audience because at that point, they might as well be writing the music themselves. (laughs) And if you're like in at the same time, you have to get your own expression and your own ideas into the music because that's what makes it your own. Mm -hmm. But if nobody can connect to what you're creating what's the purpose in that as well yeah i mean if you just want to make music for yourself and you just want to send your bedroom and do that I, honestly cool man like that's awesome there, i see a lot of guys i mean and i probably have said it to myself but that kind of like complain about like well, the music scene here sucks i was like well maybe you're just not like you're not seeing the signs and working with the market around you you know like mm-hmm. the reality is like music is, is it's a weird conversation, but it is a two-way conversation. In the sense, like, when I'm on stage, talk, like, I'm talking or singing, like, you're not talking back. Like, I'm 400 times louder than you. Even if you wanted to, you couldn't. There's very little dialogue in that sense, but there is, between artist and, and fan or, or artist and listener, there is this weird conversation that happens either by them buying or not buying your CD or them leaving a comment or them complimenting you after a show or them, whatever it is. You know, there is conversation that happens it's just not, it's just different, you know? No, and it definitely goes to the idea that you have to adapt because if you're going to say that the music scene sucks, that's great. You either have to create a way that the scene <laughs> has to adapt to you or you have to adapt to the scene or you need to move somewhere. And sorry to say, but that is probably the least likely of the situations to work. Yeah, as I'm saying, like back to like, I've started expecting a lot more of artists, including myself. Like I'm, I'm included that, like, and realizing how many like excuses and and how much blame I put on things instead of adapting. I'm like, man, this is. I would have gone way farther if I worked on this harder. And you know, that's my fault. This scene could be better. I'm just not putting any effort into it. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not the scene's fault. Maybe it's not ex ex external factors' fault. Maybe it's just that I want things to be this way and it's not. You know, I kind of describe it that way. You're like, oh, this is kind of dumb. Like. I want Bitcoin to be super cheap, and then it me buy a bunch, and then it go up in price, and I make a million dollars. But that when you say it like that, that sounds dumb. But when you say it like, oh, this music scene sucks, I want it to be this, 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 you're like, well, you have some level of like effect on that. You can change certain things. You can you can put in some effort. I'm like, you just want this to be given to you. And and I'm like, again, it's like a combination of myself. Like I'm getting these conclusions because it's like, oh god, I'm, I've done all of this. <laughs> and so like again, I'm trying to focus. I think. Artists and lists and fans both have different responsibilities. And so I'm kind of trying to hold people to more of what they're capable of. Well, and that also speaks to the growth of yourself as an artist to look back and realize that you have made some of those mistakes in yeah. your ideals or your approaches. Yeah. I want to discuss the flow, the connectivity 
of your last album, Transients, is you have some interludes on the album that flow between the songs. So I want to see if there's a general theme with those. But before I go ahead and do that, I want to take a quick moment to talk to the listeners of the podcast. Of course, we're going to be playing another track off of that album, Transients, for you guys right away. But before we go ahead and give that track a spin, I just want to take a moment to thank everyone who reached out about possibly joining the Patreon that I discussed last week. During the time between last week's episode with Like a Motorcycle and this week's episode with Smoke from All the Friction, I kind of decided that I was going to wait about a month or two before I rolled out the Desert Tiger Patreon, because in the next month or two, I have a lot of things that I'm going to be announcing, and I feel like once those things are announced, I can commit to providing you with a lot more content, a lot more bang for your buck, if you will, for your support of Desert Tiger. Without giving away too much information, let's just say that I'm going to be returning to live performances here in 2019, and I couldn't be more excited to be getting back on stage. Because I know when I get on stage, I get a little bit wild, I get a little bit animalistic, sort of like one of my favorite animals. Kinda like this next track from Smoke From All The Friction. This is Panther. Slow down Lost control Replace calculation with the mob syndrome Of growing passive A shallow Yeah. 
transients there's four interludes in between each of the five songs so is that like a connecting theme like you said earlier that there may be one so is there like an actual connecting theme between the songs on this album is there like a main idea that you're trying to get across between all the songs or what's the message behind it yeah so i I don't concept albums are they're, they're too much friction for me the concept of like this is exactly what this album is about and this is like one cohesive narrative i mean I've, i think every artist has probably tried to write one at some point it's really hard but i write more i guess i call it a theme albums this like and that's basically what you said so these are all kind of i don't know almost like little essays or little like monologues on this different aspects of this idea and so transients meaning it's it's constant change and and an evolution of some sort and like I was saying before, it, this is kind of my my personal journey, but I've also seen it in a lot of people, you know, young, early 20s to, like, mid-30s. And cause that's the most people I got with. The most mentally stable, mature, and happiest people in that tend to be the ones that can accept the reality that everything in life is mortal. And I don't mean that you're just going to die, but I'm saying that every friendship that you have, even if it, you have this friendship 10 years from now, it's going to be a different thing. It's, that old friendship's going to slowly die, and you're going to make a new one, even if it's the same person because you're going to evolve as people. And a lot of uh, us as humans, we have this tendency to try to hold on and squeeze anything that we can that gives us what we think we want and not a- acknowledging the fact and, and appreciating the fact that this is going to end at some point, and that's okay. That's just how the world works. Mm-hmm. And if you can kind of acknowledge that, that transience of, of reality, you tend to appreciate the things that you have far more deeply because you know that they're not going to last forever. 
Well, and that's it, is you can't even control how you grow as an individual, the things that happen to you, the influences that end up affecting you. There's no way that you can do that with your friends or anyone else. And there's always so many people who look back and it's, ah, like, I lost touch with so many people that I knew back in the day and everything else. And it's like, well, it's not to say that, like, necessarily that, you guys lost trust or fell apart it's more to say that you guys are different people now and maybe you grew out of that situation it's not maybe to say that things fell apart it's that you guys grew and you took what you needed from that experience yeah i mean again it's a little bit morose but at the same time like it's it's pretty real mm-hmm. and to me it's like acknowledging the sad reality that kind of affects everything makes 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 you happier because again it adds value because like knowing that this experience is going to end makes it better you know oh definitely and to know that like those moments mean so much more because when you're living in those moments like especially when you're younger when you're a child or something else you don't actually realize just how much they're going to mean to you later on in your life and then like you look back and you realize wow i never actually realized that this was the last time i was ever gonna see this one individual or maybe the last time i was ever gonna play music with this one person or something else right and it's you never realize just how much that the time that you spent with that person actually affected who you have become now 10 years down the road yeah, and so that, that's kind of like a central theme that like kind of pops up through the album. Mm-hmm. Like that's one aspect of it, and it's more of just like my personal experiences of getting to and ex- beginning to accept that and and learn that. So like the first song that is, is, is "Crossing Tattoo," which kind of sounds like a love song, but it, it's not really. It's you're supposed to sound like a love song if you write a pop song, so that's why. <laughs> but it's more of like it was an experience I had with another person where I took a risk of like, hey. I just met this person randomly in, in, or in my hometown or where I live now at a show and kicked it. It really kind of had a lot of chemistry, but a good talk and everything. And I was like, I'm just going to be like vulnerable and real with this person. I'm probably never going to see him again. So that's fine. You know, like why would I not buy, buy I'm, I'm going to be real and talk about whatever I'm good at, whatever I'm bad at. I'm not going to try to sell this image, this like Instagram reality of how amazing I am to this person. What I did ended up doing was giving that person permission to do the same thing for me. So we're able to have this like intimate, vulnerable connection because we didn't even know anything about each other other than one night's of worth of conversation. But it was a very like close and intimate thing because we were able to be completely flawed with the other person or completely very flawed with the other person. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of and, and so to, to be able to accept these things that we're talking about, like you have to be able to accept yourself as flawed and then give a people other people permission to be flawed as well. Definitely, and that's one thing is a lot of people put, well, maybe a lot of people say that first impressions are everything, but sometimes people put a little bit too much thought into the first impression because they feel like this person's going to be this life-changing moment and everything, and it's like some people are, but it's it. Some people maybe are only there for a moment, so why try and build up this giant wall or image when honesty could be be the best thing for that moment and then like another like that that song and those interludes basically like they they serve two purposes originally when i was writing this album i had a different person in my band and she she did like a lot of poetry 
And so I was like, okay, how can I like give you more of a platform to express this part of you? You know, we're doing this music project together, and it's no rules. Like, I'm not going to write a better album than the Beatles. Like, I can't beat them at that game. They've mastered it. They're done, you know? It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So why don't I just change the definition of an album, you know, a little bit? So I was like, I'll use these interludes to do two things. One, like, I don't have to, I'm going to take away the restrictions of, like, it doesn't have to have a catchy chorus. It doesn't have to do any of that stuff. All they have to do is convey, they have to be a bridge between these two different ideas and this, this greater theme of transience. So I, I literally just wrote out an outline, like you would for an essay or something. Interlude one needs to feel this certain way and, and, and transition from Song Cross and Tattoo into Panther, which was like a really interesting challenge musically because I was really free to like, I, I didn't have to write anything catchy. I could just make like experiment with sound, which is something I really like to do because it's just far, far less limiting. And so I think a lot of those interludes, they're, they're pretty disparate musically. They have all kinds of different textures on them. It's like because they were completely agnostic to, to genre. They're like completely subservient to to the uh, emotion that I felt like that song needed to carry. No, they definitely flow with the feeling of the song rather than just trying to be that musical, like that fit into the musical realm of whatever it's trying to be, whether it be indie or electronic or anything, because it fits within all of it. It encompasses all those because it's what it needs for the poetry and it kind of really makes it a lot more powerful so like that that's an example of like friction like oh i'm working with this other person or used to be used to work with this other person like it allowed me to create something that i wouldn't have created otherwise yeah so that's something that you've recently had to do is you guys have shifted from a three-piece to a two-piece yeah i, I change band members fairly often not not it's well to me it's it's, it's become part of like I guess here, here, here's the pitch that most people have for a band. They're like, hey, I'm going to be the band leader, and I need you to show up to practice on time. I need you to buy all your own gear. I need you to do whatever I tell you to do. This is going to be a part-time, sometimes full-time job, and no promise of any money ever, and I kind of want to be the star. That's what most people sell to, to, to other musicians. And I'm like, guys, this is 2019. That's super unreasonable to me. So basically what, what I've kind of switched from is I, I call them a modular mindset, meaning that I have all these different modules that – need to be done so either in the studio or live or in between like uh, when i write these songs like i do all the production myself for, uh, one of those modules would be like hey i need somebody i need guitarist for this song i need a percussionist for this song i need backup vocals for this song what do you got what can you do and like the guy i'm working with right now he'll, he'll kind of like i'll just lay out these different modules and he'll pick all the ones that he can do for each song and i'll pick all the ones that i can do that song and then just use technology to, to fill in the rest mm-hmm. so basically that allows us to play songs and allows me to ha- work with different people and not like hot swap them out, but kind of. And so uh, I recently tra- transitioned some people or they just wanted to move on. One guy moved to California and one, of, one girl just was too, was too busy, but it was a really easy transition because I'm like, you're not leaving me out to dry here. You know, like I can go play shows and you don't have to be here because I can just turn this channel on and on the, on the computer or I can get somebody else who can fill these things. So I think it allows like people to to not have to be married to to your band and allows people to kind of like come in and out as as is convenient for them and and leave when they need to you know something that your music definitely does is explores a lot of expressions and emotions so how does your live show reflect that because being like a one or two person stage show you 
definitely have a lot more space to express that in the live setting. So how does the live show work? Is it very energetic, a lot of moving around? Um, yeah, that's, that's been something like, like there's this like unspoken role. As a lead singer, you're, you're typically a front man as well. And that's like, is an additional role that you need to focus on and learn how to do and practice how to do. And there's like techniques and stuff that you can do as a singer. People don't really talk about that aspect of it. People just assume that you have a personality that is conducive to it. And that's like the last few months I've been really focused on like, I, how can I develop an experiment and, and try to figure out how to convey these different emotions in an expressive and entertaining and authentic way live. So we move around a lot. <laughs> and, and sometimes like, at the end of the day, the, the main goal is for me to entertain you, and the secondary goal is for me to convey and give you permission to examine certain these things, these deeper themes in the music. But that's the second goal to entertaining you. Kind of focusing on what that vision, like, I, I use a lot more tech than I would probably default to, and I've gotten some flack about it, too. You're like, oh, you guys don't play as much. You like you use some backing tracks or stuff. I was like, I can play this, and I can sing this, but I probably couldn't be a front man while doing those other two things. Mm. I'd rather sacrifice, like, me, I'd rather cheat a little bit, because those are my main goals. You know, I'm here to entertain you. Like, I think, like, DJs, like, Skrillex has proved that you don't have to play a single note, and you can still be very entertaining, and he gets his goals across, you know? And so that's kind of been, like, a weird thing to, to deal with, but, like, like some weird criticism for some, like, rock, more rock musicians. They're like, why don't you play more? I was like, Bro, that's that's not that's not the goal is not to play guitar. The goal is to entertain. If that, and if that's done by playing guitar, we'll we'll play guitar on this song. And if it's not, then I'm not. Yeah. So as as far as like live shows, we use a lot of visuals. Like we have our own. Like I'm a big tech fan, so I've just built this pretty elaborate light show that we bring with us everywhere. And depending on where we are, like I, we use like some backtracks, some projectors, and stuff that are all like synced. Everything's combined and and not and it's not just like push play and it does everything by itself. There's a lot of interaction with with the live setup. So meaning a lot of things are rendered dynamically and the, based on what we do, like I built these machines that have this personality that will, will do some of the stuff that they want on their own that I've already pre-programmed, but also kind of interact and, and as a bit of a personality that I can interact with them live in a dynamic way. Do the lights react to the drums? Sometimes. sometimes they're just I basic. thought they did. I saw that in a video and I was like, that is tight. To me, I, I've used tech as... Again, this is a huge, this is weird response. So we don't, we don't know as humans how to handle technology. We, we are already becoming cyborgs. We already have, like, that's kind of how I view it, meaning that we all have phones with us 100% of the time. Yes, it's not plugged into us, but it functionally is. So, like, we are human-machine hybrids already. That's why I try to view tech as, like, almost like a band member. <laughs> I like how you bring up uh, Skrillex, One Sunny More, because that's actually somebody who I thought about when listening to your music, because it reminded me a lot about his first push away from from first to last. Before yeah. he got hooked up with Dead Mouse. he had a lot of sounds that sort of were like this, where it explored not only electronic, but also sort of rock and roll, and sort of indie, and sort of a little bit of metal. And yeah. is he somebody that you find you take a lot of influence from or that sort of mindset? Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. Like a lot of these musicians that influence me, it's not even like directly their sound, it's their mm. thought process. Like they're the artist part of the artist, I guess. Same thing with like Devin Townsend's for one, like I was saying, how some of his ability to have like been bring satire in, into something very serious and dark. And Skrillex being able to evolve from not only two disparate music genres, but two disparate music cultures. Like, electronic 
culture is very different from like rock and emo culture. Like it's just oh. and it, there's some overlap, but like uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, like his ability to do his artisanal process is really what I kind of focus on. I mean, at this point, like I learn new music techniques and develop them. That's the easy part. <laughs> yeah. Like the technical part of it's the easy part. If you can get the the personal development part, that's far more expensive and and harder to develop for me. So yeah, like guys like that, I, I try to, especially early on. Like right now, I haven't made it big at all, and so I have to put mm-hmm. a lot of effort with very little. Like it's very risky because like if Skrillex puts in a hundred hours, he's going to get probably a fairly decent amount of guaranteed return. Me, there's no guaranteed return, so there's a lot more, a lot more at stake, and it's harder to keep be motivated. Mm-hmm. So often, like in my chill time I'll have music videos or like interviews with those guys because it's like okay this is really a really, like, really motivating thing hearing these guys talk about their process and, and how they de- had to develop themselves to get to where not to where they are career wise but to where they are personally mm-hmm. because I think they're all related and that's it is for those individuals as well for Sonny Moore to go from a band that was considered established within its genre to completely step out onto his own and at the start his first couple eps there was a lot of people on the electronic side of things who were just i'll i'll mess with this and there was a lot (laughs) of the emo people who were just like why don't you just go back to from first to last dude it's good music and then it was i thought it was amazing but then you look at it 10 years later and he totally like we said earlier sort of found that ground for some of those people in between the electronic and some of those people between the emo rock side of the world. And he sort of combined it in a way where not only like did it become a voice for them, it also became connectable with so many other people. And he became one of the biggest music stars in the last decade. Who he is and like what he has a accomplished is going to speak for itself in a long time to the point where he even went back and did another album with from first to last Mm -hmm. and it just says like why limit yourself to the barriers of a genre or one theme or one ideal or anything if that was a huge risk for him or even for trent reznor at the beginning of nine inch nails for I'm going to be this industrial band and I'm just going to bring in whatever pieces I want here and there, but it's going to be like I'm the driving force behind this project. Is That was a huge risk for him as well, and it takes a lot of bravery, but it speaks to the creativity of the individual and the drive of the individual because to say that my expression will not be affected by other people's voices to say oh man other people want me to have the guitar on stage so i'm gonna force myself to have the guitar on stage or something else where it's like if it doesn't work in that moment why force that moment if that's who you want to be yeah i mean i think it relates to that big idea basically my my art is just an expression of me trying to develop myself as a person it's just kind of like gives me an excuse and a use case that's more and more like precise like taking responsibility for your life in the sense that like if this goes well, it's because I kicked, I kicked ass, and I took risks, and I did what, I, amidst uh, criticism, I decided that this is the best way to do it. And I said that I don't, I don't agree with you guys, and I'm going to deal with that criticism. But if it fails, you guys were all right, and I was super wrong. You know, like those two things, you can't have, you have to have both of them or neither of them. And the same thing, I'm like, I'm going to spend thousands of hours working on this, and I may be wasting my time. I should have done something else. You know, owning that responsibility 
this is what I'm paying. This is the cost that I'm going to have to deal with this. And it's not easy. There's no guarantees. And you may look like a fool. You have to risk looking like a fool to succeed. And that's, that's really kind of where I'm. I think a lot of, and I, I'd need this, but like I've, I've been in my life that have been able to basically encourage me in that direction of like own your balls and like take control of your life. And if it goes right, it's because you made it. And when it goes wrong, own it and blame yourself as you should. Well, and even if it does go wrong, <laughs> it's definitely going to. I mean, to, for you to develop, like to to figure out what the market wants, you got to get shat on by like the market. To figure out where you fit in in the world, in the hierarchy of whatever you're trying to do, you have to like get smacked down. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. You have to hit rock bottom in order to get any semblance of the top of the mountain. Like you yeah. have to know what that feels like in order to get back up into rise from that moment and it's it is it's there's going to be a thousand pitfalls and there could be one success but it's just it is it's to know that you took that shot is a lot better than sitting around and thinking what if i had taken the shot what would have happened yeah i mean i know it's like whatever like motivational video ever says there's some like truth to it and just just that responsibility of when it goes wrong well, it's because of this, because of this. Nah, I chose this. I just the decision I thought was best at the time, and it turned out to be wrong. And I'll, I'll deal with the consequences of it. And just kind of keeping it that simple and not having to make excuses. Well, and that, that has given me, like, a lot more freedom to experiment. If I ever break, like, m- make it again, it's because, like, I just did a 1,000 experiments and one of them worked, you know? Well, that just meant, like, the other 900 or whatever didn't work. That's, like, what I'm doing with social right now. I basically made a, I'm like, I'm going to release a... An Instagram story or a Facebook story, a Snapchat story, like every single day. They're 15 seconds. I mean, mm-hmm. you can make 15 seconds worth of interesting content. If you can't make 15 seconds worth of interesting content related to your band every day, that's a problem. You know? If you're too lazy to do it, okay, I get that. But if you can't actually come up with anything, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And so I'm like, all right, this is a doable challenge. And will it work? I don't know. Am I spending hours on it every week? I am. But it's more of, I have to take a risk. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But just that mentality of experimentation in every area of, of yourself and your music and your the promotion and developing yourself. You you have to spend these hours. You have to spend a thousand hours to get to the one hour that actually mattered. <laughs> well, and you never know what that one hour is going to be. Everyone always says is that it's hard work, it's drive, and then the other half of it is luck and timing. And luck and timing, you have absolutely no control on. So it's it is. 998 can go wrong, but 999, whoo, 999, baby. That that had a rocket pack strapped to its back, right? You never know when that moment's going to be. Yeah, I mean, that's not like, it sounds real demotivating to me, like, Life is suffering, man. Like that's this is just how it is. You can avoid it, you can medicate it away, you can cope it, but like you're you're just taking from your future, you know. If you can take some of, of that pain now and, and and be willing to, to endure some like uncomfortableness and, and risk failure that you know you created mm. <laughs> that's the whole goal, you know, like, because that will get you to their end. But you're gonna either pay for it now or pay for it later is kinda of, uh, focus on it. Well, I I feel the exact same way, and that's why I would rather be a little bit uncomfortable now and maybe have the comfort of knowing that I took the shot later than being uncomfortable later knowing that I rested on my laurels and did nothing about it at all and took none of the power that I may have possibly had within that situation. That kind of relates into uh, our next album that pretty far into. It's called Nuance. 
And so, okay. like, I mean, it kind of relates to a lot of stuff we've been talking about. <laughs> well, like, well, there's a lot of polarization that's in America right now. At least that's what we say, and that's what we talk about all the time. And I'd say a lot of it, a lot, most people would say, like, oh, we have a lack of nuance and appreciating, like, how how other people think. Or, like, everybody would go, like, yeah, sure. I was like, now, to fix that, we don't need to act more nuanced. We need to become nuanced people. And that means we need to figure out where we failed in that previously and then take the responsibility to change that ourselves and, and own that. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. all the same related themes. So it's not like a political album sense. It's like most political albums are like, this thing's bad. Trump is bad. George Bush is bad. You know, socialism is bad. I was like, yeah. that's not helping. I mean, I don't have a problem with, like, you do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a place for just pointing out things that are wrong, and that's it. But that doesn't give you, a, like, a, a real solution. And just saying, we should do this, or the government should do this, or this abstract group of people should do this. I was like, you don't have control over that. You do have control over you. And if you're saying we, and you're including yourself in that, cool. You know, totally. Like I said, as we as artists including myself, I need to do this better and we need to do this better. That's like assigning responsibility to myself because mm-hmm. I do have to do it for that. And so that that's like the next album is really trying to have a more subtle view on, on dealing with like these polarized topics in, in America. You said that you're already heavy into the process of this. Are you expecting to drop the album sometime in 2019? I'm just procrastinating on setting a deadline because I don't want to, I know. I'm a bunch of sleepless nights once I start doing that. No reason. No reason to force it right now. The the year oh, is still, still young. I need the friction. But <laughs> no, exactly. I'm sure the friction will come at some point. Whether naturally or of your own volition. Yeah. yeah but no, no, I'm shooting for like summer-ish or like second quarter of 2019. You're still aiming on like more of an EP side of things? Is this going to be more of a full length? I think we have seven-ish songs and then a handful of interludes again. It's a little bit different, but s- similar idea. So uh, I guess it's in between. It's not quite an IP. It's not quite a full length. So. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm very excited about that. Nuances are very important because there's a lot of people that like to point the fingers or, like you say, say this thing is bad or that thing's bad, but it's just it. Is What are you doing to make a difference about it? Yeah. What are you doing in your own life to make a difference about certain things? Because you can always just sit here and blame somebody for a certain situation or something that happened to you or something else. But it's just if you're doing nothing to improve that situation or get out of the aftermath of that, then you are definitely responsible for that being there. Because like everything else can only affect you so much. It's how you respond to it as a person. Yeah, that's that's basically like the album kind of starts off more of like the complainy condemnation, like this is bad, this is not okay. They shouldn't do that. The group shouldn't, and then eventually, like, evolves like about half or three quarters of the way through. It's just like, oh god, I am not examining myself. Even if they were doing it right, I wouldn't even know. Even the stuff I'm criticizing, I don't even understand it enough to criticize it. But I'm just yelling because I haven't put the effort to to tear tear my own ideologies apart and really examine them. Like, as soon as somebody pokes at mine, I attack them because, like, they're asking questions that I haven't been willing to ask myself, you know? So that, mm. and it kind of eventually transitions into seeing things from, like, wow, man, people have this idea that our commonalities will bring us together. And I think history has spoken that our common enemies bring us together. So we can complain about, well, it shouldn't be that way. I was like, this is the same problem I'm talking about. So what if we focused on finding a common enemy that we all can fight inside? 
And so to, so to me, like, we all have our own demons and insecurities and problems that just come with being human that we're all trying to defeat our own inner demons. And kind of starting to see, re, like, the, all, all of humanity has their, each person has their own demons that they're trying to fight. And then we're all kind of against the, the man inside of, of ourselves. So that, that there's that sense of a common enemy that can bring us together. Because, like, what we're saying now, like, I have a sense of camaraderie with you because you're, you're obviously in, in your own personal life trying to defeat the laziness or, or the negative aspects of, your, of yourself. You know, that's like your demons, right? And so I have a sense of commonality. It's like, yeah, man, like, screw those guys. Yeah, like, let's do this. That brings me together because we're fo- both fighting our own version of the same thing. Yeah, but it also says, is like, as much as it can bring you together, it's you have to fight so much within yourself and progress yourself because there's you have to be a part of your own decision and that is your own power and if you're just complaining about something you're completely giving that away to somebody else yeah <laughs> i mean yeah so that, that's that's where we're, we're turning with that, that album so okay well awesome fantastic thank you so much for joining me here today Oh, definitely, man. I was super good to talk to you. I'm a little pumped up, man. Ah, I had a fantastic chat about the album. I was listening to it before we spoke today. But I have one last question for you before we head off. So the video for Cross and Tattoo, does that actually connect to the idea behind the song, or does that have its own message behind it? Um, It has its own message. This was a hard thing for me to do because I I have my fingers in way too many aspects of his bands like i met a director and I was, he basically kind of like asked to have more of a free reign on things so that was definitely more of his visions which was a scary thing to do because i want to do everything <laughs> but it was also interesting to see how people as an artist you, you don't you often don't want to have other people view your art wrong and so it was a, actually a really interesting experience to have someone else like kind of take you what what you actually conveyed in this song and then them create something visual out of it okay so did he have his own idea about it then and like sat you down this is what i get through the song and you were just sort of like wow i didn't even think about it this way or how uh, something like that i mean he's a director so you kind of i mean I'm, i do the same thing but on the other side just like hey this is what needs, needs to happen i don't know enough about video to like even argue like or disagree with him so i was i mean it was a lot of kind of put my hands all right you can drive on this i'll trust you on this so all right, awesome. Well, it is a pretty fantastic video. The lighting in it is kick-ass. Very, very interesting. All right, thank you so much for joining me today, Cam. I hope you have a fantastic time. I'm going to definitely be keeping my eyes open for that next album as well. Right on, man. Dude, thank you so much for, uh, for talking with me. And with that being said, we come to the end of another episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. So I want to go ahead and thank Cam Gillette for joining me here on episode 59 of the DTP. And I also want to go ahead and take a moment to thank Victoria Shockley for helping set this interview up. Thank you very much, Vic. I also want to go ahead and thank you guys, the listeners here at the podcast, for tuning in to this episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard today, maybe you want to go ahead and leave a five-star review on either Stitcher or iTunes, or maybe you want to go ahead and share this episode on your social media platforms, or maybe with people in person, because I know that 
Some of you still do in-person exchanges like talking to actual human beings. I know, it's crazy! So, once again, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. Next week on episode 60 of the DTP, we are going to be featuring the godfather of Canadian hip-hop. That's right, we have the coach, Maestro Fresh Wes, and he is on his champagne campaign, baby. And we are going to be discussing his new album, Champagne Campaign, in detail. So I hope that you guys tune in next week when I speak with the Maestro Fresh Wes. Until then, have yourselves a great time. I hope that life treats you beautifully.